The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 17. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And so we come to the end of the church's epiphany season. As this coming Wednesday, we will turn to the church's next season, the season of Lent, during which we, with Jesus, will turn our gazes and our footsteps toward the cross. One last reminder, well, perhaps until Epiphany season next year, when I will well remind you again, I imagine, the word epiphany refers to those kind of aha moments when something that wasn't clear all of a sudden becomes clear or known to you. And you might even say at that time, aha, I just had an epiphany. In the church, the Epiphany season follows the 12 days of the Christmas season. And during Epiphany, we meet not the baby Jesus, but the all-grown-up Jesus who starts doing the things he does and saying the things he says and teaching the things he teaches, like the Sermon on the Mount that we spent those several weeks with. And people start paying attention, and once in a while, suddenly, a few of them start to go, Aha! This may be the one we've been waiting for. Every year on this last Sunday of the Epiphany season, we end the season by hearing the story of the most spectacular Epiphany of all of them. Well, at least until Easter came. And that Epiphany of all Epiphanies is called the Transfiguration of our Lord. And it takes place at a time when Jesus has been doing what he's been doing, teaching and preaching and healing and shining in the world with a light that is God's light. He's been doing that for three years now. But Jesus knows, he knows that he's not going to shine with light in the fullness of his brightness unless he too reaches to the darkest of the world's darkness, which is to say, in other words, that Jesus does know that that cross is coming and needs to. And when he knows it's just about time for him to be turning toward Jerusalem and that cross, he takes his inner circle of most trusted 
disciples, Peter and James and John, to the top of a mountaintop just a few miles west and perhaps a bit south of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee being where he'd spent most of his time doing all the teaching and healing and shining. And on that mountaintop, Matthew says, Jesus is transfigured before them. And since why in the world would anybody have an idea what that even means? Matthew gives us some details. He starts to say that that Jesus' face starts to glow, but by glowing, he's not talking about like when a woman is pregnant and we say she's just glowing. His face is shining like the sun is shining, which means it's it's bright with a brightness that's almost even almost even hard to look at, like when you look right at the sun, that his clothes are dazzling white too. That's what it says, Matthew. That's what it looks like, Matthew says, that Jesus is transfigured. Okay. So for Peter and James and John, of course, this is weird. But you know what? To them, some of the weirdness that it's weird with is holy. Because these are fishermen, surely, but they're Jewish fishermen, and they know their Bibles. And ever since Sunday school, well, it probably wasn't Sunday school, but ever since they were kids learning the stories of their Bibles, they have known the story of the time when Moses, whom Jews knew was the man in the Old Testament, they knew of that time that he went to a mountaintop and he stayed there for 40 days. And the Bible says that God was up there with him. And when Moses came back down, it says, from being in the presence of God, his face was glowing. And in fact, it kept on kind of with a residual kind of glowing thing going on, so much so that Moses, it says, actually had to wear a veil over his face for a while because it kind of creeped people out. And Peter and James and John all knew that story from the book of Exodus, and so it didn't take them all that long at all to be pretty sure that what the mountaintop glowing they were now seeing was all about was about being in the presence of God. So yeah, maybe they're thinking this is kind of weird, maybe they're thinking this is kind of scary, but they're also thinking this is God. It gets weirder in a really, really God kind of way. Suddenly, blink of an eye, suddenly, they all at once see that there are actually two more people who are there too, and they are talking with Jesus. And I don't know how they know, because I'm sure nobody's wearing a hello, my name is name tag or anything, but somehow they do know that these two people are Moses and Elijah, who happened to be the, the, the dynamic duo of the entire Old Testament. The Jews referred to their scriptures, the Old Testament, as the law and the prophets. And Moses was the one that God had given the law to. And Elijah wasn't just a prophet, he was the prophet. The prophet that the prophet Malachi had said would actually come back again when God came to save his people. Aha. So now seeing Moses and Elijah, Peter and James and John can't not see too. Aha. That Jesus isn't just some itinerant country preacher from Galilee. 
nor are the things that Jesus has been doing and saying just having to do with Galilee in those days. No, it's obvious on this mountaintop that whoever Jesus is and whatever Jesus does is part of a bigger story. It is part of the story. It's part of the story from way back in the beginning. God's story, which also apparently they're seeing now as an ongoing story because here on the mountaintop stand not just the old story, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, but the law and the prophet and Jesus who apparently, aha, is as big a deal as the big two, Moses and Elijah. Well, that's when Peter manages to kind of peel his tongue off the top of his mouth where it's been kind of stuck. And and he says, Lord, it's a good thing that we're here. We can make three dwellings, three monuments, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And some people say that was a really stupid thing for Peter to say. Other people say, actually, that was a really respectful thing for Peter to say. Other people say they're not sure, Peter, Peter, Peter. How many tries do you need at that one? They're not sure that maybe Peter even had a clue what he was saying. He just thought maybe, you know, somebody should say something at a time like this. And and so he opened his mouth. And that's what came out. All I know is that Jesus didn't say anything about what Peter said, which seems to say that whatever Peter meant, he was missing the point point which was made even more obvious when right after Peter said that the whole thing gets weirder still and holier still when a cloud, a bright cloud comes down on all of them like it's a fog except it's a fog that's shining. Remember that Old Testament reading we heard today when it said that Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to get the law from God and the only thing that people from down below could see was a fiery cloud on top of the mountain. That cloud they found out later was a visible symbol of the presence of God. So here now Peter and James and John are on this mountaintop with Jesus and Elijah and Moses and along comes this cloud, this glowing cloud, which, are you kidding me, then starts talking. And it speaks with the voice of God. What it says is, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm so pleased Listen to him. Now, wait a minute. Let's let's notice this. Listen to him. Whoa. Aha. Turns out Jesus isn't one of the big three with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Turns out Jesus is even bigger than Moses and Elijah and laws and prophets. Listen, the voice says, listen more than you listen to anything or anyone. Listen to him. 
and the disciples fall down on their faces in the dirt, and now they are scared, and it is quiet. It is dead quiet until a hand touches them. And the Bible doesn't say if they jumped right out of their skin when it did. What it says is that the touch was the touch of Jesus. And the next voice they heard was the voice of Jesus saying, get up and don't be afraid. And they looked up and what they saw was Jesus alone, just sounding like he'd always sounding and looking now like he'd always looked. And he led them back down the mountain and on the way he told them not to tell anybody what they'd seen till they had seen him raised from the dead. There's every indication in Scripture that that statement confused the daylights out of Peter and James and John. There's also every indication to think they didn't understand what he was saying soon afterward when he said to them that in spite of that glorious scene they had just been privileged to see, it was time for him and to them to be getting ready not for glory like that, but for the cross. And that concludes the story of the epiphany of all epiphanies known as the transfiguration of our Lord. So I was thinking this week, in a typical sermon, I've preached a lot of typical sermons. In a typical sermon, this is when you move in one way or another to some version of the question, how does this story relate to my life and to my experiences today? How is this Bible passage relevant to today? I was thinking this week is that asking that question of this passage, I think, would probably lead us to miss the point because wondering how this story relates to us in our lives, I would probably end up saying something. In fact, I think I have preached this sermon on even on Transfiguration Sunday. Well, I would say this was a mountaintop experience for Jesus. And many of us have had mountaintop spiritual experiences, right? But Jesus didn't stay on the mountain. He went back down to the valley. And we can't live on the mountaintops either. We are called to live in the real world where we can reach out to love real people, even if it means taking up our crosses. That's actually a pretty good sermon. And it's true. The Bible says all over the place. We're not called to live there, up there, you know, as close to heaven as we can get. We're supposed to be heaven down on earth. Absolutely. That's, that's in the Bible all over the place. It's just that that's not true enough truly to be the point of this story. So let me tell you something. In my journey, I, I think I would, I could tell you of some kind of mountaintop experiences. I kind of feel like maybe I've had spiritually speaking and you know those times where you can remember that God just seemed extra close maybe even a time when it seemed like God was talking to you in some way or another maybe you've had a moment or two or five or six like that too I'm grateful for those moments you are too but I have not ever just not even once ever experienced a mountaintop experience that was even a a a, the palest of shadows of this mountaintop that we hear about this morning. Unless you happen to be someone who spent 90 minutes in heaven or something, you haven't experienced a mountaintop like that either. Here's the thing. I think naming that truth 
is what gets us to the relevance and the power of this Bible story. Because the relevance of this story is found in the fact that I can't relate to it. The power of the story is found in the fact that I've never experienced even anything remotely like it. And that's the point. Because this story, it turns out, isn't about me and who I am. This story is about Jesus and who he is. This story isn't about my experiences. This story is about the one who is oh so much bigger than anything I ever have or ever will experience, even if what I experience is a cross of one sort or another, and of course, ultimately, when I experience death in one way or another. This story is about the mountaintop of Jesus' glory. It's about falling on your face in awe of who he is because in awe of the splendor of who he is, at long last, at long last, you can know the power of a promise he did hike down from that mountain to speak and to speak it all the way to Good Friday's deepest darkness and to speak it all the way to to your deepest darkness. And the promise I'm thinking about isn't just the promise he's with you. I mean, goodness, a, a, a cuddly teddy bear can make that promise. The promise I'm thinking about with this story in, in mind isn't the promise he is with you. The promise I'm thinking about with this story in mind is the promise he is with you. Jesus The Lord of that mountaintop we can't even imagine is with you. He is with you in your valley. He is with you shining in the dark. He is with you with a hand as near as your shoulder and saying, Get up, don't be afraid. I will walk the valley with you. And it may be dark and there may be a cross of one sort or another. I will ask you to carry for a while because there are some good things for others that can only be accomplished by suffering. That's just how it is in a sin-broken world, but don't be afraid. I'll carry it with you, and I will see you through all the way to Easter. He is with you. That promise is nice, and it is heartwarming. He, the Lord of that mountain and its glory, the Lord of Easter, he is with you. That promise is a promise with the power to glow in the dark. Listen to him. Listen to him. And soon enough and unafraid, there will be a light that you start to glow in the dark with too. A final thought. From an only but goody spiritual Facebook post that's in kind of the round of spiritual Facebook posts that go around every couple, three years. This one goes like this. Don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. The transfiguration story, unimaginable in its splendor, is a glimpse of how big your Savior, the Son of God, is. Maybe give it a try. Tell your storms about him. Indeed, look sin and death and darkness and the devil himself, if he draws close, look him straight in the eye and tell him all that they may well all be bigger than you, 
but they aren't bigger than him and his love for you. This one, a voice says, the one on the mountain, the one at your side, the one glowing in the dark, this one is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Amen.